Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. This book, we go back to chapter number 10. The author calls us to turn our minds to a specific direction. He tells us what faith does in our life. In verse number 11, he calls us to look backwards to people throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Covenant, who had been lives, led lives that showed faith in the promise. Although these men and these women stumbled all over everything throughout their lives, from Samson to David to others, they never found fault in the promise of God. And it was by faith in that promise that they were able to endure the things that they went through. Again, even if we think back to Samson, who we know failed, he endured to the end because he had faith in the God of the promise. Even though we look at him and say his life was a failure, God accomplished his means through his life and records him for others to look at because of his faith in the promise. When we get to chapter number 12, if you remember, the author starts to use the analogy of running a race. He says, in this race that you're running, that you're enduring, that you're continuing through, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of of your faith. He just told them about people's faith and he tells them that Christ is the author and the finisher. He started it. He's going to finish it. Look to him as you're running the race. He calls us not to be distracted by sins and other things that can come apart into our life. He calls us to look to the city of God, to look to Zion, not to look back at Mount Sinai. Tells us that Because we are heading to a new place, we have a new kingdom that is not movable, that cannot be shaken to look towards. When we got to verse or chapter number 13, the author starts to become a little bit more practical and tells us to continue in brotherly love, to entertain strangers, and to focus again on Christ, who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not to be carried away by strange doctrines that are not bound up in the grace of God. Not to get caught up in some alternative or alterated standard. But to serve God by looking to Christ. And this is what we see when we get down to verse number 15. The author says, By Him, therefore... Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Again, the author here has come 
to give us instruction again. If you want to find a to-do list in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13 is where it is found. And the author here sums up everything else that he has said by giving us two final commands. By giving us two more pieces of instruction. What are those two pieces of instruction? Well, they're right here in the text. The first one that we have, the first command, the first piece of instruction that we are given is found in the beginning of verse number 15. He says simply, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Now, we would read that and we pick that up pretty easily. But remember, the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew people that he has been speaking to are called up in the old way of Judaism. That's what they're part of them are wanting to go back to. So the author uses the same language that he has used throughout the book of Hebrews and says, I want you to go ahead and start offering sacrifice again. But not the same sacrifice that you're thinking about. Notice in verse 15, he says, By him, therefore. Does anybody want to take a wild guess at who he is talking about? If you don't know, look back up at verse number 12. Wherefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. The author is again calling us back to Christ. By Christ, therefore. So because Christ has died, what are we to do? We're to offer sacrifice. This is significant because the Hebrews knew about sacrificing. Back in Leviticus chapter number 1, we read verse 1 through 4. It says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of cattle, even the herd of the flock. If his offering shall be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him also bring a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and shall accept him for the atonement for him. Basically, God was speaking to Moses and said, if anybody's going to bring a sacrifice, let them bring a sacrifice of cattle, even the herd of their flock. He tells them, if you're going to bring a sacrifice, it's got to be a specific kind of sacrifice. Uh, that is under the old covenant. And we understand that in our grasp of scripture. But the author again is Taking and he is using the two systems to prove his point. We know this 
because of what he has just said to us in Hebrews chapter number 10. If you look back to Hebrews chapter number 10 in verse 1 through 4, it says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifice, just sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have ceased to be offered." Because that the worshipers once purged should have had, had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance made again for sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. The author told us that in the book of Hebrews. He said, if these bulls and goats would have been good enough to actually take away sin, they would not have had to continue. But what does he say there in verse number one? Chapter number 10, verse number one, he said they offered them year by year continually. If you remember, again, back in Leviticus, he says they offered sacrifices continually. But these sacrifices had a purpose. And we understand that because we've gone through the book of Hebrews. In, verse, or in chapter number 10, he tells us that these sacrifices were a shadow of good things. In Hebrews chapter number 9, verse number 11 through verse 14, he says, But Christ being become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither of the blood of bulls and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For in the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer and the sprinkling of the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your consciences from dead works to serve the living God? If you're not picking up what I'm putting down, Leviticus, they were told to offer sacrifice continually. And to offer a specific kind of sacrifice in a specific kind of way. But the author of Hebrews, through chapter number 9 and chapter number 10, has shown us that Christ is a better sacrifice. He entered once. And because of that entering once, we can be cleaned from our guilty conscience. So what does this mean to us? How does this fit in to what the author has said here? The point he is making is he is emphasizing that under this new covenant, because of Christ, again, verse 15, by him, therefore, we have transitioned in the sacrifice that we offer. The blood of the bulls and goats could never take away sin. The author told us that. Even God, in the book of Psalms, again in the book of Hosea and in the book of Isaiah, he says, he basically says, I'm tired of the blood of the bulls and the goats. You're doing it for no reason other than tradition and ritual. You've lost the meaning. And I don't, it was never about that. 
The author of Hebrews said it was because they were done to point us somewhere else. They missed the point in the Old Testament, even in what they were supposed to be pointing to. But these sacrifices of animals are no longer what God is asking them to do because the blood of Christ was shed once for all. Now God is looking for a spiritual sacrifice. And he tells us what that is. And we even can look in other places in Scripture to see and understand that God is looking for a spiritual sacrifice. Think to Romans chapter number 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are now called to offer spiritual sacrifices. So how do we do that? That's the real question. We understand that that's what God is calling us to do now, to offer spiritual sacrifices because of Jesus Christ, by Him. I want to emphasize real quick that He says that we're to offer these sacrifices continually. Just like in the Old Testament, they were to offer sacrifices again and again and again because they could not take away sin. The author here, though, is calling us to offer a sacrifice continually, not to take away sin, but because the sin was taken away. He says it in verse number 15. Offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is what we're called to offer now. We're not bringing the blood of a bull or a goat so that we can purge our conscience for another year. We're not even coming together, assembled together, so that we can ask God to forgive us for our sins so that we can purge our conscience for another week. We come together to look to the once for all sacrifice that Jesus has made seeing that our sins have been forgiven, confessing them, agreeing with God about our sin, and looking again to Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And what are we offering? The author tells us. Praise. When we come together, we look to Christ. And if we're going to offer him anything, it's an offering of gratitude, an offering of praise, an offering of thankfulness to God for the sacrifice that he has made. If you read through the book of Psalms, you see the the heart of this and even the Psalms that are sung. One of, the, one of the ones that we can often think of that are more popular is Psalm 100. Let us enter into his courts with singing. All throughout the book of Psalms, we hear this idea of entering to praise him. 
Anyone want to take a guess at what they were praising him for then? They were bringing sacrifice to him. They were praising him for his faithfulness to his word. Again, if you do not believe me, read through the book of Psalms. You will see the reason that they praise him is because he has kept his word and they are looking to the fulfillment of his kept word. If they were doing that then, how much more ought we be praising God because he kept his word in his son? The author says, because Christ has sanctified you with his own blood... Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. What is that sacrifice of praise? Well, the author has read our mind and told us. He says, that is, just in case you don't know what sacrifice of praise is, that is the fruit of, of our lips. What about the fruit of our lips? Giving thanks to his name. The words that are used here are interesting. When he says giving thanks to his name, he uses the same wording that Paul uses in the book of Romans when he says confess. When he says Proclaim. It's the same idea that when we come together, the way that we give thanks unto his name is through a grateful heart. But it's not just a grateful heart. It's through a meditation and a confession of the finished work of Christ. How do we praise his name continually? By reminding ourselves of what he has done Continually, by proclaiming what he has done continually. John Owen puts it this way. He said, for whereas it is a pretense, not only in representation, but in repetition of the sacrifice of Christ. And this is the principal duty of the church. Basically what he was saying is we're not just coming together to represent what Christ has done, but we are coming together to give repetition, to tell again what Christ has done. He says, this is the principal duty of the church. This is the job of the church to rehearse what Christ has done again and again and again. What else do we have to be grateful for? Yes, we can look to physical blessings that God has given us, but if we're going to be grateful to God, our primary Gratefulness ought to be for the finished work of Christ. Paul says, without that, we are of all men most miserable. We have in this life no hope. And if we have in this life no hope, then how much more in the life to come do we have no hope? If we're going to come together with a sacrifice of praise that is pleasing to God, and is proclaiming to others, then that sacrifice of praise ought to be concerning his son. 
When we come together and we sing, it ought to be pointing us to Christ. When we come together in fellowship, we ought to be pointing each other to Christ. When we go out into the world, we ought to be pointing people to Christ. That is how we make a sacrifice of praise with our lips continually. Whether in public or in private, our gratitude ought to be pointed towards the heavens with Christ in mind, in thankfulness for what he has done. But in verse number 16, he tells us how this plays out practically. It's easy to stand here and say we ought to thank God for what he has done. We ought to be grateful for the sacrifice of Christ. We ought to be concentrating on the gospel itself. How is this played out? What happens when our sacrifice of praise is given to God? In verse number 16, he tells us, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For such sacrifices, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Again, just in case you didn't believe me whenever I said that we are to communicate this gratefulness to others, he says it in verse number 16 as well. We don't have to rely on the wording that Paul or the wording the author uses here because he says it again in verse 16. He says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. He says, look at Christ. It will produce a gratefulness. It will produce a gratitude in your heart. Offer that gratitude to God. But don't forget to do good and communicate it to others. This is the relationship that we have between faith and works. Again, on Sunday mornings, we hopefully have a good grasp of this as we've gone through the book of James. We understand that Christ did the work. That everything that we can offer to God is worthless to him. Outside of Christ, our good works are filth. They're garbage. Paul said he counted them all as dung. All we have to give God is praise. But in giving God praise, let us not forget to do good works and communicate these things to others. Our good works are not for God. He doesn't need them. But those who are around us do. God's grace is poured out upon those around us and even poured out upon those who are unbelieving when his love is made manifest through his people. It is easy for us to walk out of these doors and say to anyone we come across that Jesus loves you or that God loves you. But those words are very cheap, especially in the culture that we live in. If we're going to 
show the love of God, if we're going to pour out the grace of God that we have been given, then we are going to do that by not forgetting to do good. The book of Galatians, chapter number 5, verse 13, it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. He says, you have been freed from your bondage to sin. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serving one another. Think back to the Gospels. Jesus did not look at his disciples and say, you can know for sure you're saved by what you do. You can know for sure that you're really a Christian by how much you love people. That's not what he said. We are known by that. God is seen through that. Our good works are not for us. They're not for God. That is the mode by which God is pouring out his grace to the unbelieving world, to those around us. Practically speaking, how is this done? It's pretty simple. And you know how to do it. <laughs> the scriptures tell us that it comes through us. Even in the book of John, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The phrasing that he uses there is a promise, not a threat. He says, if you love me, this is going to happen. You will do this. This is going to happen. The very next verse, he says, I want to send you a helper to help you do it. The way that we do good to others is by seeing the good that's been done to us. Again, it all points us back to Christ and that love that Christ has displayed flows through us and out of us to other people. The grace of God that comes to us flows into us and out of us to others. We are the mode by which God reaches people. That is why he said it was through the foolishness of preaching that he chose to save the lost. He could have done it any other way, but it was through a foolish means. He wasn't saying that the proclamation of the gospel was stupid. He was saying, surely to goodness, there was a better way to bring people to Christ than people showing love and telling them the gospel. But that wasn't for us to decide. God chose through that means. And if he chose through that means, then we ought not forget to do those things. For no other reason. Why do we offer him a sacrifice of praise? Why do we not forget to do good and communicate what God has done? The end of verse number 16. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. This text makes sense when you lay it along the side of all the different things that Jesus and Paul and Peter say. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Paul said, Whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. The way that we bring glory to God is by communicating what God has done and by doing good. Again, we're not doing this to lift ourselves up, to have a better standing with God, to be more approved of or more accepted by God. We're doing this to show the love and acceptance that God has offered through His Son. Quote John Owen again, he said, The observance of these duties, the apostle presses on them with this consideration, saying, With such fast sacrifices, God is well pleased. He persists in the way of calling Christian duties by the name sacrifices, and he doth confirm to us the cessation of all other sacrifices for the church. What are we to do? What application does this text have to a new covenant believer? What application are we given if we're in Christ? To put it in plain terms, if you say you're a Christian, if you have believed on Christ, if you have apprehended him by faith, if you've grabbed hold of the work of Christ for you, now what? Our checklist looks like this. Be grateful to God for what Christ has done. Confess what Christ has done to yourself and others. And show what Christ has done through love and good works to those outside of you. Guys, that's literally it. That is the Christian life. That is what we're called to do. And the beauty of that is Christ has promised to do it in us. Paul said, I preach for this reason and I do everything that I do for this reason. What reason? Because Christ desires to save sinners. But then he says, yet not I, but Christ through me. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, we have been given the ability to obey God imperfectly, but to be used perfectly through his Son. God will take our weak and our weary means, and he will accomplish his will anyway. And when we get into the new kingdom, he will look to his son and he will say, well done. Just like at creation, he will look upon his accomplished plan and he will say, it is very good. We've been given the ability to be part of this. It's not contingent on us. We've been given the privilege to participate in what God is doing. So as we go out this week, let the author of Hebrews say to us, just as he has said to the Hebrew congregation that he is speaking to, remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. Tell other people about it and do good. Let's pray.